0: Hey, we are in uh, week three or four of the promised land. Kind of lost track there. I'm talking about promise, the promised land, right? Makes sense. Let's talk about promises. When we were younger, we were a younger married couple. We had a, our first daughter. And I don't know what the conversation was. I wasn't around at that point. I heard about the conversation that apparently Amanda's had reached an age where... She was early elementary, but she experienced the divorce of one of her friends. And apparently Diane and Amanda had a conversation. And, and Amanda must have asked, will you and Dad get a divorce? And from what I understand, this is all hearsay. Um, Diane promised Amanda that we would never get a divorce. Years go by, and she's in junior high, maybe late junior high, early high school. And a lot of her friends' families are being... That's, that's about the age when this happens... Maybe this happened to you growing up about that age, maybe some of your friends. Um, And she came home, and and apparently I I wasn't a part of this conversation. I don't know where I am all the time. Um, Diane asked her, are you worried that Dad and I will get a divorce? She said, oh, no. You promised. (laughs) So now the pressure's on. (laughs) You promised, like, ooh, okay, all right. Now, can I just say that we've been blessed? that that promise we've been able to keep that promise and and my guess is it's not entirely due to our incredible faith walk I I think it's due to just the grace of God right it's unearned it's it we it's unexplainable more often than not and and I think that's a part of it because I was a horrible horrible boyfriend I I don't know how we made it well I do it's the grace of God right He he just bestows grace on weird people there it is um Now, again, others have made this promise, but they couldn't keep it. And I'm definitely not implying that we're better than other married couples again because, you know, God's grace, right? But I am simply illustrating the fact that it is inherently unstable, right, the nature of promises, right? And therefore, it is incredibly unstable and and perilous to even make promises, right? Because once you make a promise, you've stuck your neck out there. Right? You, you now have, you've committed. You, 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 gotta, you, you gotta do it. Um, and so there's a per- certain peril in making reservations, um, making promises. And, and again, this is a peril that doesn't seem to be bothered bothering the, the car rental companies. I don't know how many times I've rented something and I show up and they say, well, we don't have your car. And I, I say, well, now wait a minute. <laughs> we made an agreement. I promised to pay and you promised to deliver the car that I'm paying for and now you're Right? Or, or the airlines, you guys are experiencing this right now. You get to the counter and, well, we don't have a seat for you. Well, I, you promised me a seat. I paid for a seat. Well, we promised your seat to another person. <laughs> you, you can't do that. You can't promise me a seat and then promise it to somebody else, but apparently you can. Right? Or, or politicians, right? Now, to be fair, some of them are liars. <laughs> but to be fair, once again, I think some of them, I, the way I read it, they're just naive. Right? They roll into town thinking that they can just toss out willy-nilly these promises, and then they run headlong into just a whole boatload of realities. Right? The, we could go on and on and on that out forever, but reality hits them, and the promises, they hope that nobody remembers the promises that they made. But we remember. We remember. So by their very nature, because the future is unknown, right, promises are easily broken. Right? But they can also expire, and, and, and they can just be forgotten. Right expiration dates. Right after this date, all promises of, freshmen, of, of freshness expired. Like me personally, I, I don't take those dates very seriously. I feel like they have a little wiggle room. My wife gets a little nervous. I figure about a month or two is good after that date. And I, you know, I've never gotten sick, so it's all good. So I think they play with those expiration dates. To be honest with you, how about a, a limited time offer? Right. And I, now, now I appreciate if they're going to be upfront and intentional about that. Okay, sir, so we're going to promise you, but it's a limited-time promise. As of this date, promises are gone, right? Deals off. Sometimes, though, um, the limited nature of a promise isn't intentional. It, it just time goes by. Things change. When I was young, my parents told me, if you go to a Nazarene university, we'll, we'll pay for everything. So this is like in 1969, right? 70s roll through, and well, we'll pay. We'll pay for this. <laughs> About three. Well, we'll we'll pay. For, eventually, we're going to give you moral support. <laughs> now, they, they they helped out a little bit, but I understood. I mean, I knew the promise couldn't be kept because of the situation and you know wh- wh- everything that happened. I, I I get that. I I totally I totally understand that. Maybe you've uh, you've hoped one day that somebody would forget a promise that you made, right? This is the promise I always, I, I tend to make and I always hope that they forget. You ever promise to help somebody move, right? They call you and say, hey, or you call them. You say, hey, when you can finally get a place, give me a ring and I'll help you move. And then you hear in the grapevine that they found a place and you think, shh, don't tell anybody I'm home right now. Please forget that I promised to help you move. Or have you ever hoped that somebody else would remember your, their promise to you to be true, right, to be supportive, to be faithful, to help you move. Like, please remember your promise. You said you would come help me move. Now, thankfully, thankfully, our God is different. A promise is a promise kept, right? Not only does our God make and keep promises, but knowing that we might forget or worry that He had forgotten, right? Our God provides periodic reminders and updates. Right, on the progress of the promises, not only the promises that we made to Him, but the promises that He makes to us. Right? He provides these reminders and these updates, the prophets and Jesus Christ, right? the, the reminders and the updates. Um, throughout the Old Testament and, and today, for that matter, God spoke through the prophets, right? reminding them and us of God's love, His incredible love for us, but also reminding them that they love Him. Right? That, that his promises and his faithfulness, right? You all love that. And the prophets were to remind the people because they needed to remember God is good. That's right, God is good, and he's faithful. And then 2,000 years ago, well over 1,000 years after the initial promise was made to Abraham and his descendants, God provides an all important update. This is from a letter to the Hebrews from the New Testament. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so in this passage, Jesus Christ is both a prophetic reminder of God's love and his faithfulness and his, the goodness of his promises, um, right? He sustains all things right there. But he also serves as the all-crucial update to the promises that God made originally to Abraham and his descendants. The mystery that's been kept from the ages, for the ages. This is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 26. You've heard this. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Now, the exact nature of this mystery, the exact nature of this, this uh, update is a bit more clear. You know, if you, when you read, you guys are recognizing this, I think. When you read Paul, his his sentence structure is atrocious right it's it's just difficult um and so we're you know preachers are very thankful when when scholars come along and provide um, help to understand paul's horrible grammar Um, so i'm going to show you verse 26 and 27 i'm going to use eugene peterson's message version because the mystery is a bit more clear in the eugene peterson message version listen to this i'm going to verse 26 and then 27 the all-important right so The mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery, in a nutshell, is just this. Christ is in you. Therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That's the substance of our message so you gotta understand, Paul's speaking to a Gentile Christian crowd here. They're non-Jews. And they're now, and, and he's including them in the promise that was originally given only to the, the Hebrew people. Right? This is just like this sleight of hand almost. He says, Hey, you're you're now Hebrews. <laughs> Congratulations, you're now part of our, of our family. In Christ, you're now part of God's family. Right? This is the mystery. This is the update. Keep it hidden for ages and generations. That by being in Christ, anyone from any background could be included in the promises. Now, here's the odd part, though. Paul's speaking again to non-Jews, Gentiles. Right? And they can be excused. There's reasons why they might not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Obviously, they're Greek. They don't, they're not up on their Jewish scripture. Right? But according to a conversation that Jesus had one afternoon. Soon after his resurrection from the dead, the Jewish people should have known. They should have known all along. This is what was read. We read this earlier. I'm going to read it in entirety. This, this conversation It's called the road to Emmaus. Right? The disciples are very, very tore up. They thought with the death of Christ, the promises gone. Promises pulled back. Promises expired, right, with the death of Christ. And so they're walking along, two, walking along the road to Emmaus, four or five miles outside of Jerusalem. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing them. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They said still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know what the things that have happened there in these days? Well, what things, he said? He was in the tomb, right? He couldn't have known what was going on. So, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. So, you know, he's like, this, this, it's past. He's definitely, th- it's over. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And I, that, that phrase struck me, and I, and I don't know why it hadn't struck me before. I did a little bit of digging. This is is one of those places where the gospel writers, they're throwing two things at us at the same time. Physically, they could not see Jesus. But as as I'm going to show you, the passage bears out. The disciples and all the Jewish people, they literally could not see that Jesus was the Messiah from their own scriptures. They couldn't see him in their their story. It's kind of a double meaning there. Continuing, he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us what that conversation looked like. It was a long walk. It would have been interesting to hear that conversation. But we do know what the Old Testament ancient Jewish tradition said about him and what New Testament writers reported that he said repeatedly. Now, the first thing to note as we kind of dig into this just a little bit, while many of them were waiting, and this is what we're all, we all kind of know this part of the story, right? We've been told this part many, many times. Um, while they were waiting, they were waiting for an earthly political military Messiah, right? That would deliver the people from the Romans and establish the earthly dominion of Israel, right? We, we, we kind of know all that. But that really wasn't the whole picture. Right? That, that, that's something that we grasp onto because it's easy to understand, it makes sense, um, but, but, but it was actually a, little, a bit wider, wider picture. The fact of the matter is that the Jewish people were waiting for something much greater than merely a political or military figure. Many of them were actually waiting for the restoration of Israel in a new Exodus, a brand new, just like the old one, but different. A brand new Exodus. It was the hope. That when the age of salvation finally dawned, that God would recapitulate the events that had transpired during their flight from Egypt. He would kind of do it all over again, but this time it would take. Right, where the Israeli, the Israelites, they didn't do everything that they were commanded. This time is going to be different. This time, this one's going to be radically different. The God of Israel would one day save His people in much the same way that He had saved the Israelites centuries before through Moses. Now. According to Scripture, according to our short little video there, very thankful for that video. Told the whole story. I don't have to explain it. Um, the first Exodus came to an end when Joshua finally led the twelve tribes into Israel, into the Promised Land. But for reasons that we're going to explore this morning, the Old Testament prophets foretold of a day that God would bring about a brand new Exodus, complete with the coming of a new Moses, the making of a new covenant, the building of a new temple, and a journey to a new Promised Land. All four all involved in this new exodus so i i want to um point out a lot of my material this morning is from a a book uh the jewish context of the eucharist is by a guy named brant petrie Um, if you see that book grab it It, it's just an amazing read Um, a lot of my material is coming from him this morning um the first thing about the new exodus is that there would be a new moses right the first exodus god saved the people by the means of a deliverer moses right And according to the Old Testament prophets, he would save the people again by a new redeemer, right? The Messiah. Now, amazingly, the hope in the coming of this new Messiah actually began with Moses himself, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, the Lord is speaking to Moses. Listen listen to what, what, what the Lord tells Moses. It says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything that I command him. Now there's no real direct link to the Messiah. But the later rabbis, they linked this passage to the prophecy of the Messiah. Right? The anointed one would be like a new Moses. Just like this passage. This is is the passage that they went to. Let me show you just a couple quick examples in Exodus chapter 4. It says, Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt. For all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his family and his sons and what? Put them on a donkey. Started back to Egypt. So Moses rides a donkey. And so the prophets claim that as the new Moses, Christ would also ride a donkey. This is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout daughter jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious on a colt, the foil of a donkey low lowly and riding on a donkey now if moses caused manna to descend from heaven which in exodus chapter 16 then the lord said to moses i will rain down bread from heaven for you and the people will go out each day and gather enough for that day And in this way i will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions well now if moses did it well According to the prophets, Jesus is going to do the same thing. What do we read in John 6, verse 32? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they asked. They said, Always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. So, Moses does it. Jesus does it because the people expected the Messiah to be a new Moses, right? Now, in addition to the coming of a new Moses, the Old Testament prophets, Jewish tradition, also claimed that the new Exodus would involve the making of a new covenant, brand new covenant. In the first Exodus, God had made a covenant with the people, and it was, it was a sacred family bond kind of thing between himself and the people of Israel. And I want you to notice two things about this original covenant. This is your homework. You can go home and read Exodus chapter 24 today. Notice two things about this covenant. Number one, it was sealed in the blood of a sacrifice. And number two, it was concluded with a heavenly banquet. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is from Exodus chapter 24, verses 5 through 11. Listen to the blood of the sacrifice in the heavenly banquet. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. There's the covenant. And now we're going to seal it. We're going to seal it in blood. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, Kind of gross, I know, I know. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. In effect, what's going on here is God's making Israel to be his own flesh and blood. Right? They now share the same Blood, kind of a kind of a cool ritual, but uh, kind of kind of uh, also, right? But they're now family, right? And then the concluding banquet. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abinu, and the seventy elders of Israel went and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright and blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hands against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and they drank. So there's the sacrifice. The blood of a sacrifice and the concluding banquet. Unfortunately, the joy of the moment didn't last very long. Very short time later, Moses is up on Mount Sinai with God, and the people make they melt all the gold down and they make a bowl to worship. It was a big deal in Egypt. It was familiar to them. Right? And you kind of get it. If Moses Represents God. Well, Moses disappeared. What about the promise? What, 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 what are we? What are we doing? Right? He's gone now. What, what? And so they they just they 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 go dark. But God hadn't given up on His promises, and He hadn't forgotten His people. Nearly a thousand years after Moses, the prophet Jeremiah told the people that God was going to make a new covenant. A new covenant with the people, one that would be greater than the covenant of Moses. Listen to this, Jeremiah chapter 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, I want you to listen, listen, more, listen once more to the words of Jesus at, his, at the Last Supper. In the same way, after supper, including banquet, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, at the blood of a sacrifice. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And again, other passages speak of his blood being poured out. And see, so the idea in the, in the Eucharist is just like that banquet back in Exodus. But in the new covenant, right, we're all, we're not Hebrew, right? We're Gentiles. We're all over the map. By way of that blood sacrifice, at the Last Supper, when we participate in that, we're a part of the family of God. We're blood brothers, right? Crazy thing. And so after the first exodus, a sacrifice and a meal, and to usher in the new exodus during a banquet the new covenant is sealed in the blood of a sacrifice so a new moses a new covenant and a new temple right in a nutshell the temple history here first temple was a garden right modeled on the earth kind of as a temple and god would be filling the temple with his presence that was the idea of the garden the garden would eventually cover the whole earth we all know what happened everything went south so he decided to launch a second temple. This is when the Israelites were wandering around out in the desert. It was the tabernacle. It was very, very detailed. And again, at the very center of it, the Holy of the Holies. It was kind of a model that God saw as the earth and with him as its very center. Again, it's, almost, it's a model of the earth with God at its very center. So when they finally got to the Holy Land, the third temple, called the first temple... Um, built by Solomon. Remember, David wanted to build it, but God said, well, you're a warrior. I need a man of peace to build it. It was destroyed by the Babylonians very a couple hundred years after it was built. Right? They come back from Babylon and they build another temple. It was the fourth one. It was horrible. It was embarrassment. The old men cried. They looked at it and said, oh, this is so embarrassing. And then finally Herod comes along and to, to get the Jewish people to be okay with him. He was a horrible person he built the second temple. It's called the second temple, but it's really, if we're looking at it, it's kind of maybe the third one, or the, let me see, the fifth one, right? It was destroyed by the Romans 70 years after Jesus' birth. Now, here's the crazy thing about that fifth temple. uh, As marvelous as it was, and it was beautiful. It was one of the wonders of the world. It was just incredible, incredible. Inside the Holy of Holies, remember in the tabernacle in the first temple, Solomon's temple, inside the Holy of Holies was the the, the golden table, the, the golden lamp stand, and, and the, the manna, and, the, and all that. In Solomon's temple, the Holy of Holies was empty. All those things were, they were taken by the Babylonians. We never saw them again. They're, go- they're gone, as far as we know. So the Holy of Holies, it was an empty temple. And the prophets understood this. They understood it. I don't know if the people understood it, but the prophets, they, they, they understood that. So even before Herod's temple was destroyed, the prophets, they spoke more and more of a new temple. Right? The prophet Micah spoke of a future temple. He says this in chapter 4. He says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and people will stream to it. Now, if you've been to Jerusalem, you know the Temple Mount is hardly the highest mountain in the world. That's because this was a prophecy of a new temple. This is the final temple of the end times. And then in John chapter 2, 19-21... Jesus claims to be the new temple. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They were talking about the stone temple. He was talking about the new temple, his body. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? <clears throat> but the temple he had spoken of was his body. And then in Acts again, we find with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we become the newest temple. So we're like a number seven. I've lost track. <laughs> Finally, Jesus updates God's original promise with a journey to a new promised land, right? In the first exodus, God led the people from Egypt to the promised land, land of Canaan, right, which God had promised Abraham and his descendants. But in the new exodus, as the prophets had it, God would bring both Israel and the Gentile nations into a new promised land, and they would possess possess this promised land forever, Prophets like Moses, excuse me, Amos and and Hosea and Jeremiah, they had spoken of a time when when all of God's scattered people would experience this new exodus of sorts, kind of a coming home. They would, the the exodus, they would leave the nations and come back to a holy mountain of God. But here's the fascinating part about this new promised land. According to the, the prophets, it wouldn't necessarily be the same physical promised land of the Old Testament, Right, listen, this is from chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10. The prophet Nathan is speaking to King David, right? Nathan says, or the prophet says this to David, and I will, this is the Lord speaking through Nathan, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they can know, so they will have a home of their own and no longer <clears throat> be disturbed. And now, as again, Bible scholars point out throughout, um, in this oracle, God promises to appoint a place for his people, but this can't be referring to David's time because all 12 tribes were already inhabiting the land, right? This is, a, this is a, a different, possibly a different place. And finally, the prophet Isaiah, more than any of the other prophet, repeatedly describes the new Exodus in terms of God's people journeying to a new Jerusalem, which happens to be a part of a new heaven and a new earth. This is Isaiah chapter 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. And so, <clears throat> the crucial updates to a loving God's promises. At a time when many of the people had thought, well, maybe God forgot Maybe enough time has gone by where he just said, you know, the situation's changed and I can't, I can't because you, right? (sighs) But no, not at all. The crucial updates by the word of Jesus Christ. The coming Messiah would be more than a conquering king. He'd be a prophet and a miracle worker like Moses. It would be a new and everlasting covenant, climaxing in a heavenly banquet with God. That wouldn't go south immediately right afterwards. And the glorious new temple, a new creation, right? Where God would be worshipped forever and ever. And finally, the hope of a new promised land. For the ingathering of God's people in a world made new. But here's where we stand at this moment in time. Folks, then and now, think God has either forgotten his promises or he has no intention of fulfilling them. They look at the world, and, and this decision has been made many times over in history. Look at the world, and we think, wow, what a mess. I think God forgot. Or he changed his mind, right? I want to close with Peter's words of wisdom. If you're thinking that God has no intention of keeping his promises, you're wrong. Second Peter, verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to punish, perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this morning, maybe you're that person. <clears throat> Maybe in your childhood you were told about promises. As you grew into adulthood, you decided those promises were silly. But you watch around, and you see people accessing those promises. And where you sit this morning, maybe you're sitting at home right now, and you're wondering, are, are those promises are they real, and do they apply to me? Well, if you're listening at home, you're listening here, they do. God's Word just made that very, very clear. Those promises apply to you, but you've got to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then when you do that, you are included in the family of God. So I want to say a quick prayer right now, if you all bow your heads. Father, if there's anybody in this room, if there's anybody sitting at home listening to me, and they had been wondering whether any of this applied to them, and now they recognize that it does apply to them. So, Father as they bend on knees and seek to be forgiven and to make you their Lord and Savior, your word says that you will honor that so fast, so completely, Father, that their lives can be different from this day forward. So, Father, every person who is praying that prayer right now, hearing my voice, hearing your voice, Father, be with them all the way through. Let's bring them home. Father, we thank you for all these things that you've been working out since day one, and you keep reminding us, and you provide updates. The promises still hold. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. We pray all these things in your your son's name.